Genesis 3. The uh, theme that holds our readings together is the question of eternal life set over against death uh, and all that robs us of life. Uh, So we start in Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day, walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the fruit of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. The Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field, On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return." The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So far from Genesis chapter 3, let's also turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, right after Proverbs. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 3. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it, so that people fear before Him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, For there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust. And to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? We'll also turn to one more reading from Scripture. John chapter 6. beginning in verse 25 and reading through verse 71. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are not seeking me because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give, you, give to you. For on Him God the Father has set His seal. Then they said to Him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. So they said to Him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? 
Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to Him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about Him, because He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does He now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to Me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the, the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, 
Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So far, the reading of God's word. As we reflect in the afternoon service, we turn to the Heidelberg Catechism, a summary of the Christian faith and the confession of this Christian church. And we find ourselves this afternoon in Lord's Day 22, the second part of that Lord's Day, question answer 58. There the question is, what comfort do you receive from the article about the life everlasting? Since I now already feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, I shall, after this life, possess perfect blessedness, such as no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, a blessedness in which to praise God forever. So far, the Heidelberg Catechism. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, we've come now to the last article in the Apostles' Creed as we uh, wrap up the uh, treatment of the creed. Uh, of the creed. There, there's an interesting history to this last article. Uh, it wasn't there in the earliest editions of the Apostles' Creed. In fact, it first appeared uh, in Africa, in, in the African creeds, or the creeds of the African churches in the middle of the 5th century. Uh, and the, the, what makes that interesting is the reason it seems to have been added uh, was because there were many Christians who, when they came to the second last article, I believe in the resurrection of the body, uh, understood that wrongly as merely a temporary resurrection. You read of resurrections in Scripture, like that of Lazarus uh, and others, uh, and many Christians from that age supposed that perhaps that's all that we believe, that God is able, if He so chooses, to raise people from the dead. As possible, part of this concern, uh, part of the reason for that concern came from the abundance of miracle stories uh, that were coming from that region, uh, including stories of resurrections, especially associated with the cult of the saints. Uh, but uh, even if these stories were true, they were at best temporary resurrections. Uh, so we can well imagine how many Christians from that time would have wondered, uh, is that all? Is that all we believe about the resurrection of the body? Uh, so Augustine, uh, the, a pastor in, in North Africa in the 450s, uh, wrote in one of his letters about many Christians in his church who were concerned uh, that the resurrection was nothing more than what Lazarus experienced. And so Augustine uh, led the charge to include this line in the Apostles' Creed uh, to make it clear that, no, we're talking about something very, very different when we speak of the last resurrection. Uh, it's not like Lazarus, but rather like that of Christ, who rose immortal, never to die again. Another pastor, John Chrysostom, in Constantinople, uh, described a very similar situation in his church, the same concerns, and so he also advocated that this, this line belongs in the creed. And that really brings us to the main idea of uh, this article of faith, 
Uh, What do we confess here? We confess that we believe in the very thing that every human heart truly, deeply longs for more than anything else, the life everlasting, that is, life without end. An end to the curse of death. Life that's free from the fear of death. And death, it is, it is the great enemy of the human existence. It's true for each and every one of us. Now, whether we think about it much or talk about it much, our culture is uh, one of the cultures that thinks and talks about death the least uh, in all the uh, cultures of the world. Uh, whether we think about it or talk about it or even realize it ourselves, we all live with a deep awareness uh, and a deep sadness over the fact that our lives will come to an end. Death will find us, and the day will come that each and every one of us must give up our place on this earth. It's hard truth, but it is truth. And now, in, in the world, you find people in various different states of denial about that truth. Uh, some who, who say, no, no, I'm not, I'm not sad that I'm going to die. You know, every dog has his day, or that's just the cycle of life. Uh, but what that is, is at best, it's a, num- it's a numbing, it's a resignation to the fact, yes, death exists, there's nothing I can do about it, so I'm just going to not think about it or just accept it. It's resigning to death, but it's not dealing with death. Uh, in, in secular counseling, uh, there's a whole field of, of secular counseling known as existential counseling. Uh, and, it, and it focuses on these basic realities. It's not Christian, uh, but it focuses on this fact that every person, every human being is troubled by the fact that they are going to die. Uh, and these, these groups believe that this is really the heart of what troubles the human condition. Uh, we're all grieving. We're grieving at the fact that our time uh, will be cut short. Now, that, they don't have answers for that. They, they urge people to think about it, to address it, to face it head on, but they have no answers for it. Now, the reality is we do grieve. They're, they're right about that. It's not just a hard truth to live with that we must die. It's an impossible truth to live with. We weren't made to die. Uh, And that's where uh, we want to begin as we think about what Scripture teaches about this. We weren't made to die. Now, the reason we grieve and the reason our hearts long for eternal life uh, is is for that very reason. We weren't made to die. Uh, It goes against everything that we were created to be. Uh, That yearning for life that exists in every human heart is a yearning that God has put there because He made us to live. Uh, The first chapters of Genesis show this, how man was created good in the image of God and and made to live forever, to multiply, to fill the earth, to care for it, uh, to dwell with God in His presence forever. Uh, We were made to live. And you'll see in Genesis, we were made to live with God. We were made for life with God. Uh, to, to live in a relationship that was meant to be forever with God. Uh, our confession says it in uh, Lord's Day 3, God created man good and in His image, in true righteousness and holiness, to know God His Creator, to heartily love Him, and to live with Him forever, to praise and glorify Him. That's what we were made for. 
Well, you know the story. Then sin happened. Man and woman at Satan's bidding chose to disobey God, to take that which God had forbidden them. And so they plunged themselves into sin, death, and misery. Into a life without God, which ultimately leads to death. And God had made it clear from the beginning, eat from that tree and you will die. And there's a good reason for that. It is not only God's judgment against sin, but it's also God's way of preventing evil from going on forever. You were made to live with God. If you choose to live without Him, it is better that you ultimately die rather than take of the, uh, of the tree of life. And for that very reason, God sent Adam and Eve away. He said, lest they should eat of that tree and now live forever without me, Rather, let them go out of the garden so that they not take from that tree and live forever. And so if you ask the question uh, biblically, why do we die? Why do we die? Uh, There's really two answers uh, or two sides to the answer you'll find in Scripture. On the one hand, it is God's judgment. It is God's judgment against sin. Uh, God said the wages of sin is death and God keeps His word. Uh, But there's another reason for why do we die? Uh, Why were we sent out of the garden to prevent access to that tree? And it is really God's mercy. It's God's mercy. Uh, Because we were created to know God, love Him, and live with Him. Uh, And having chosen to disobey Him, to, to walk away from Him, to ruin that perfect relationship, God's mercy is such that He deems it better that we should die, than that we should go on like that forever. And so God brought death into the world in response to sin. That that great enemy that every human being faces, uh, the, the deepest sorrow of our human existence, is God's doing. It is God's doing because of sin. God sets a limit to the years in which we sin. A limit to life apart from God. Uh, And death also uh, sets a limit to our pleasures in this life. It sets a limit to the hope we might put in this world. It's God's way of saying, if you choose to worship the world, know this, it will perish. Your God will perish. You will lose it one way or another eventually. Uh, See, had we gone on to live forever, had God said, okay, fine, uh, live forever without me, well, we might have contented ourselves to to live in a world, even a world marked by futility and and frustration, uh, and and we might have taken the approach that, well, we'll just make the best of it while we're here. Uh, We'll we'll see how good we can get life to be uh, and try and enjoy that forever. But God has something better for us, and so death sets a limit to the pleasures that we find in this world. That's not the life we were made for. Even if we should find great pleasure in this world, building uh, beautiful homes, uh, having wonderful parties, uh, or amazing vacations, whatever floats your boat, uh, even if you can get the best that this life can offer, the truth will settle in at some point that life was was made for something better than that, uh, that that's not what we are here for. In fact, it's a far cry from that which God made us for. Uh, we were made for a glory that's much greater than the glory of this world. Uh, and even the best we can get without God 
is at the end of the day totally empty, totally meaningless. And so God sets a limit to it. Uh, He sets a limit so we would not be fooled, uh, so that we would not give up on the greater thing that He made us for. Now, there's probably no book in Scripture that speaks more powerfully to that truth than the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a hard book to read. Uh, you probably noticed that as we read one chapter. It's a hard book to read because of how honest it is. It faces that truth square on. Uh, some, many people find it even a depressing book to read because it shows how futile, how empty life can be in this world. And not just can be, life is by necessity in this world. It's honest. It recognizes death is coming for us, whether we're living aware of that or unaware of it. And as long as we're not living aware of it, we're doing nothing more than chasing after the wind. You can't keep this world, whatever it is in this world, you're chasing after. Uh, that, that passage we read uh, from Ecclesiastes 3, a time for everything, uh, it, it's taken oftentimes in a sentimental sort of way uh, by, by many people. Uh, you can even find it sometimes in murals that, that hang on people's walls. Sorry if that's in your home. It's not personal. Uh, people think of it as, as sort of a beautiful poem, a beautiful truth to ponder, but it's not meant as a comforting passage. That's not how Solomon intended it. Uh, It's written, rather, as a profoundly discouraging truth. Uh, That's how Solomon wants us to read it, because the conclusion comes at the end. After he describes all these different seasons and times that God ordains, his conclusion is, what gain does the worker have for all his toil? So you thought you were in control of your life. And God says, no, I'm sovereign. I determine the times, and there is no gain you will take from this life. Uh, Everything we pour our our passions into comes to nothing if it's not aimed at God Himself. Uh, What one generation builds and gets excited about, the next generation comes and tears down. Uh, We're born, we die, we plant, we pluck up. Uh, And Solomon's conclusion is despairing. Uh, He says, what gain does the worker have from all his toil? If this is what I was working for, well, the next thing you know, another season comes along, and it's time to tear down what we built. Uh, Everything will pass away, uh, and at best, the only reward is the journey. And yet, Solomon observes something very profound as he reflects on the human condition. In verse 11, he says, Also, God put eternity into the heart of man, yet such that man cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. What's he mean by that? God has set eternity in the heart of man. What it means is God has created us with a deep and unshakable longing for life. The real thing. Not not the temporary thing. Not the living at your best thing. The real thing. The the eternal life. Uh, When we reflect on on the cycles of life and all the work of humankind that ultimately comes to nothing, uh, there's a deep despair there. And it's the despair that God has given us that says, you were made for something more than this. This is not uh, the best that life can offer. We long for eternity. We know we were made for eternity. And yet, Solomon says, God has also kept that from our grasp. He, he, He doesn't permit us to have it at least not in this life. 
Again, consider from this perspective under the sun, to use his language, we don't get to know what God has done in eternity past. And from here on this standpoint on earth, we don't get to see what God will do for eternity future. We long to. We want to be there with God for eternity. To live not just for for, for now, but forever. But we don't get to. And again, we deal with that longing in different ways. Some will deny it. Some will numb themselves to it. Uh, Some will look for distractions to keep them from thinking about it. But none of us can shake that truth from ourselves. Now, for some, the answer to the problem uh, of death is simply, well, live your life to the fullest now. Uh, Get the most out of this life. Let nothing pass you by. Uh, You you listen to pop music, and you'll pick up on that theme Pretty quickly. This is where the the YOLO creed comes from. You only live once. Therefore, what? Live to the fullest. But even that that bold approach fails ultimately to reckon with the truth of death. Because if you did uh, reckon with the truth of death, you'd realize pretty quickly that YOLO fails. You can't live life to the fullest. Uh, Given one life of finite years, not to mention all of the troubles and trials God will throw into that life, who could ever live it to the fullest? You don't have enough time to live it to the fullest. There's no way you'll visit every place you want to visit or or do everything you want to do. Uh, And who, if if they're being honest, as much as we say live life without regrets, who won't have regrets? Uh, And if our lives are cut short by cancer or or by health failures, how then will you deal with those regrets? The the whole creed fails. The truth is God has set eternity into our hearts. Eternity and nothing less than eternity will ever satisfy our souls. Uh, And so the scriptures point us again and again, it's really the whole story of scripture, back to the eternal God, the God whose years are without end, from eternity past to eternity future, the only one who can ever satisfy that deepest longing. Now from Genesis 3 and right onwards, uh, the theme of life, eternal life, just comes back again and again in, in Scripture. Every book of Scripture pointing in the same direction, look to the living God, the one God, the only true God, the only source of life. You think of Deuteronomy 30, where Moses in his dying years uh, says to, to the people of Israel, See, I set before you life and death, life with God or death apart from God. And you see it in the Psalms as well. Psalm 16, uh, you've made me to know the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Uh, Psalm 23, the the most famous of psalms, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As psalm 36, we sang it earlier, For with you, with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. You think of the oath as well uh, that was uh, so frequently said during the days of the Old Testament. How did they swear? Uh, Most commonly, they would swear by the Lord who lives forever. The Lord of life. The one who gives life and who takes it. And so from the day that God brought death into the world to, to set a limit to life in this world, God also in that day directed our eyes back to himself to look to him 
as the only place where life can actually be found. And brothers and sisters, that's exactly what Christ also came to give. Uh, Indeed, not only to give, but to be for us the true life. Not just uh, you live forever, but the life that is God with us, Emmanuel, uh, God dwelling among us. That's what life is truly about. Uh, As he says in John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. This is... uh, uh, the, the, the greatest message of the gospel uh, distilled into a single verse. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Look for a different way, you'll get lost. Look for anything else, you're living lies. And go anywhere else and you will die. There is only one place where there is life. As John says already in the beginning, uh, in him was life and the life was the light of men. And that was the very purpose for which Christ came, to, to truly satisfy the deepest longing of the human heart, that, that, that eternity that God had put in our hearts, that Christ came to satisfy. Think of what he says to Nicodemus in John 3. Uh, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Uh, Christ came not only to, to give that life then, but to be that life with us and for us. Uh, as we saw already, we're not, we were created not just to live forever, but to live with God forever. Uh, eternal life without God is what we call hell. Uh, that, that's eternal death. Uh, so Christ came uh, not just to make it possible to live forever, but to be God with us, so that once again we may know what we were made to know to know God, to love Him, and to live with Him forever, to praise and glorify Him. That is life. Now, the Lord Jesus taught this over and over to His disciples. Uh, think of the, the prayer that He offered at the close of the Lord's Supper in, in John 17. Uh, this was the Lord's prayer, the Lord Jesus' prayer to the Father Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given Him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That is, that's the definition of eternal life. Again, at the end of the prayer, uh, John 17, verse 24 Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Uh, That's his prayer, that we would not just live, but that we would live with him. And so understand this well, brothers and sisters, the Christian hope, uh, the hope of our our faith is not just to live forever. It's not just to escape uh, hell and live forever. It's to live with God forever. It's an eternity of seeing and rejoicing in the glory of God. That's what we were made for. That's what Christ comes to give us. And here's the amazing thing. I'll close with this. If we've come to know Christ, then the fact is we've already entered into that eternal life. It's not just something we look forward to someday in the future. It's something that in Christ we enjoy now. Uh, not because this life is paradise uh, here on, on earth. It's not. It's full of toil. It's full of striving and full of pain. Uh, but because in Christ, we have the joy of living with 
and in relationship with God, under His favor, under His love. That is life. And what, what Christ taught us is that everyone who believes in Him but believes because the Father has opened his heart, has drawn him to him. If you remember that, uh, him saying that in, in John 6. Uh, and therefore, he says, every such person whom the Father has drawn to him has already passed, already passed from death to life. Uh, John 5, verse 24, Truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, not will have, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. It says the same in John 3, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. John 6, whoever believes has eternal life. Uh, John 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life so that they never perish. It's not that uh, we will perish, but one day we'll have eternal life. It's we have it already now. And we see the same thing in the teachings of the apostles, that those who have come to know Christ as the Son of God, as their Savior, have already died to sin and risen to a new life. Uh, they're already, we are already living now our eternal lives in fellowship with God. And to be sure, that there is an already but not yet dimension to this, isn't there? Uh, We believe, uh, but as through a veil. Our faith is still often weak, and and so our sense of eternal life is often smaller than what it should be. Uh, Our fellowship with God from our end uh, is often very frail. Our vision of the glory of God is often very obscured. Uh, But the beauty of the gospel is that gift of eternal life that isn't really coming from our side. It's not something we empower ourselves to enjoy. It's something God gives us. It comes from God through Christ. Uh, And so even the faith that we do have, however frail, however weak, the faith that we do have is a faith given from God and a token of the fact that you live. You already live with God and you will never die. That was Christ's promise. Uh, And so the the joy of the Christian life is already now we experience true life with God. Love for God that the world cannot know. Uh, The the joy of the Christian faith that that defies even the worst sufferings and afflictions. When the world dies, we live. Uh, We we already now live. And we already now experience the peace with God that we will have for eternity. Uh, Revelation 21 and 22, the last chapters of Scripture, give just a glimpse of what that life will look like when it reaches perfection. Uh, God promises the day will come when He will wipe away every tear, uh, when death and pain and grief will be no more. Uh, They will pass away as former things that no longer belong to the age in which we now live. And, and, the, and the best of it, of it all, it culminates uh, in God will dwell with them. Uh, he as their God, they as His people. Uh, that's the new earth, uh, rejoicing in the glory of God. In the scene in Revelation 2, uh, Scripture begins with a garden and Scripture ends with a garden. Uh, so in, in, in the last chapter of Scripture, we're again taken to a garden that reminds us of the first one, except here, uh, it's, a, it's a city, a garden city. 
It's not just a garden. It's a cultivated garden. We've done what God commanded us to do to cultivate the earth. And the water that flows out from that garden is not a water that flows from a spring as it did in in Genesis 1, uh, but rather it is a water that flows from the throne of God, the water of the Spirit who gives life wherever He goes. And in the middle of that garden, it's interesting, you find again the tree of life. The tree that was taken from us when we fell into sin, that God said, lest they reach out and take it. There you find it again in the middle of that garden. It's a concept you can only appreciate if you've also seen it in Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel 47, uh, we looked at that a while back, uh, that portrays this tree in the center of the garden giving life through its 12 different fruits that bear every month. Uh, In all different circumstances, God giving life uh, to us. Uh, And the idea is the Spirit provides us with every spiritual blessing under heaven. Uh, we, We already enjoy true life knowing what it is to live far beyond uh, what we experience now. Uh, The leaves of that tree, it says, are for the healing of the nations. Uh, And then we, together with all the saints, gathered from every tribe, tongue, and nation, will worship God forever. Uh, That's that's eternal life. It's an eternity of worship. Uh, Not just worship in in words and in song, but worship in everything that we do, uh, that it all resound to the glory of God. Uh, And all of that, all of that, brothers and sisters, is bought for us with the blood of Christ. Uh, He died to take our death on Himself. He rose to bring us with Him into that eternal life. And so everything that we've learned in the Apostles' Creed leads to this final hope, the hope of eternal life, enjoyed now, looked forward to for eternity. Now, even though we endure affliction and suffering now in this life, sometimes even persecution for the name of Christ, uh, we ground our hope in what Christ has done for us, is doing for us, and ultimately will do for us as it brings us into eternal life forever. Amen. Let's respond to God's word by singing from Psalm 23.